Andy Dalton, owner of one of the worst primetime records of any quarterback in the last 20 years, hoped to build upon New Orleans' dominant win over Las Vegas as Baltimore came to town. Down some top receivers, we needed to see how Lamar Jackson and co. would perform, and they put on an absolute clinic. Welcome back to another Monday Night Football Recap, everyone. I'm your host, Mark Hogan. Looking back on the Ravens' 27-13 win over the Saints with Brian O'Leary back after the boy, where he arrested for Germany this weekend, Brian. I am, yeah. As I said on the show the other day, I've, I've returned from my mini boy, as, as they refer to it in the NFL, when you get your, not so much a two-week break, but a 10-day break. Yeah, back in action. I was back on the show this week. I'm back with you. Glad to be back with you discussing them, um, which in large parts was a comfortable Ravens win, I would say, on Monday Night Football. Yeah, it's kind of yeah, on the show, Brian, um, Colin went for the Saints, and you know, I'm looking at our picks, thinking I can kind of see it. I, I think I, I think that I thought that right. Did, were you surprised that Colm said that? I was very surprised. Uh, I didn't get it at all. I can look. He made the point that the Saints are up and down. It's very hard to judge them from one week to the next. We saw that last week. I think I'm not sure what what your selection was last week, but mine was the Raiders, and they blew the Raiders out. But uh, the Raiders had their their own issues, which I'll be coming to on a separate podcast, or if they rock up on a Monday night football game. But uh, there's no consistency right now with the Saints team. One week they look good. Um, they played reasonably well in London. They played well last week. We saw how how they imploded essentially out in Arizona when they played your Cardinals with two pick sixes. You never know. So I can understand they're a bit Jekyll and Hyde. And Colin did make the point that the NFC South right now is a division which we've seen in the past, probably referring to the NFC East, where no team seems to want to grasp the nettle and go ahead and you know move on and try to win the division. They're all... I mean, I saw Jeff Duncan, who you would have met in London with us, um, who works for NOLA.com, and he writes great articles on, on, uh, related to the Saints. He said, if we win last night, we're only one game out of the division in terms of being top of the division. That's how crazy that division is right now. But I never felt last night that they were going to win that game. The Ravens, for me, they've like the Ravens have given up so many games this season where they've had 10-point leads going into the fourth quarter and they found ways to throw games away, whether it's the Buffalo Bills game, the Dolphins game, even the game against the Giants. But they seemed, since that Browns game, where they won a close game, then they won another close game against the Bucks. Last night wasn't as close, but they, they've, they seem to have got over that hump, I would say, and certainly a team now that you would expect to push on you know, in the second half of the season. Yeah, we could go two ways. I kind of want to talk about that Saints bit. We might park it for a minute because we'll come to it at the end. It's a bit negative, but it is really interesting that you say the Cleveland game because I read a stat that um, that ESPN actually put out and they said that the Ravens have become the third team in the last 20 years to have a 10-point lead at any point of the game. And the other two teams, the 2009 Saints and 2011 Packers, I think it was, both went nine and zero. So my problem coming into this game, you're talking about the Saints being a bit hit or miss. The Ravens have been that as well. I put out the power rankings two weeks ago, I think it was, and someone commented back saying, "Hey, don't you have the Ravens higher?" And said they need to see see out games. Like I am one of the biggest fans of the Ravens, but the way that they were bottling games, like the Miami one, just I cannot that the taste can't leave my mouth because they were so far ahead in that one, playing so much better. And they just were choking in the fourth quarter. And it like that 10 points lead that they've been building, at least 10 point lead, whatever it was, that shows that the fast starts that they're getting out to. So a bit like what is after happening with Seattle, we have a negative idea of the defense. 
Whereas it is after starting to turn around for Seattle and sure enough, it's starting to turn around for Baltimore. I mean, I was going to leave talking about Justin Houston's performance until later on in the game, almost while we touch on New Orleans. Justin Houston was available to every team to sign until July. That's when the Ravens re-signed him. And looking into this today, I went back to an article talking in July about Justin Houston being re-signed by The Athletic. And they said, well, clearly the staff knows more than we do because he only had a four and a half sacks last year. But obviously his pressure rates and that are where they want it to be. So when the pass rush is at a premium, Justin Houston was there. And now in the last three straight games, he's had at least two sacks, which is the first time someone has done that in Ravens history. And, you know, the Ravens would be well known for having good defense. So I do think that these kind of things are starting to click for them, like you said, since the Cleveland game. Now they had the Tampa Bay game where they saw the books pretty comprehensively. Now they've seen out the Saints pretty comprehensively. I do think that we're turning a corner with the Ravens. How close would you put them to, I mean, this is broadly speaking, we'll get back into the game in a minute, but how close would you put them to the other AFC contenders? It's a difficult one because... Right now, we'll come to the defense side, but offensively as well, they're missing a lot of players. Like Mark Andrews was out last night. They've lost wide receivers for the, for the season. Like Sean Jackson was was activated for the game last night, and then in 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 the end, he didn't return to the game. He went off injured. Is it sustainable? We've seen other teams in the league, you know, win games without a, a core of wide receivers. But is it sustainable in the AFC in particular, where you've got such strong sides such as the Chiefs and the Bills, and even the Titans to an extent? You know, I know that. Steve lost on Sunday, but Coach Vrabel is fantastic and he, you know, he's going to continue to get that team essentially in a position where they definitely win that division bearing in mind how, how poor the Colts have been with the sacking of Frank Reich and the other teams that come to playoffs, they'll be in a position to win the game. We've seen the Bengals. Like the AFC firepower is so strong that the Ravens offense at some stage is going to have to really click into gear and I'm, I'm, I'm struggling to see how that will really come to come to fruition in the playoffs, bearing in mind the players that they've lost for the season and the reliance totally on, on Mark Andrews. Drake is starting to find his feet. What, running back, he had two touchdowns last night, close to 100 yards. And since the Giants game, he's starting to really make waves. And on the defense side, to your point, yeah, Houston is getting more involved, more sacks, but there's other keys to the situation. I would say JPP, for example, was signed. I mean, he wasn't resigned with the books. He signed late on in, in the offseason. And he's starting to find his feet. He had a really good productive game in, in Tampa last week. I'm sure he had a point to prove against his old team. But there's other players now on the defensive line that other teams have to cater for, which maybe is the reason allowing for Houston to be more productive and getting the sacks. They'll be near or thereabouts. There's no doubt about it. You're fantastic side when you have a quarterback like that. And I did I did actually pick them to go to the championship game, but right now I think they're a little bit short of being in that position come January. I'm surprised because I'm really getting back into them again. I want to jump on a point that you made about their reliance on Mark Andrews, and I'll throw in Rashad Bateman, who's out for the season, obviously, with his injury. Yeah. But they 40% of receptions were going through those two guys, Mark Andrews and Rashad Bateman. So with them out last night, I definitely wanted to see what was going to happen. Now, we Mark Andrews isn't the first game they missed. Isaiah likely obviously played very well the week before. But four, or sorry, they had, in the first 10 passes, eight went to different wide receivers. So I was kind of thinking, okay, yeah, what's going on here? But I started digging into the numbers. Only two players had more than two targets. 
and that was Isaiah Likely and Demarcus Robinson. And only two players had more than one catch, and that was James Prochet and Kenyon Drake. So I guess my point there is it was great to see that depth and the depth work. Now, look, the Saints haven't been any great shakes on defense. They came into the year, and we were all glowing about them, and that hasn't been the case. But at the end of the day, to show that range and depth that they did yesterday, I thought was kind of impressive because only a week ago I was talking to Michael about the Bengals and how they dealt with Jamar Chase's absence and I wasn't a particular fan and you're kind of hoping that he rushes back even and I I give no passes for injuries because everyone has them look at the Saints and the far side like they're relying on Chris Olave with Jarvis Landry and Michael Thomas out but with your main guys saying even at the running back position you're missing Jacob Dobbins you're missing Gus Edwards and then Kenyon Drake steps up I thought that we had to see a different side to Baltimore's offense. And when everyone else is complaining about, oh, the events of the ball didn't go in our way, the Baltimore Ravens showed a lot to me last night that their drives last night, Brian, were absolutely methodical. And that's what I really kind of enjoyed about it. Like, if you look at the time of possession, they had over 37 minutes. I was looking and they had, what, three drives that went over six minutes in length. But if you look at play number or the second drive, for instance, it was 11 plays. There was five first downs in that, including three that came on third down. So while I watched, there was no flash plays by the Ravens really last night. But what I really enjoyed from it is that is so defeating on the defense, the opposing defense, that you cannot get off the field. And it's just little by little, you're being hacked away by Baltimore. And that's what I thought was really scary, that... It didn't matter what New Orleans was doing. I thought that the Ravens' offense was clicking. And I suppose we're used to those flashy plays. And we think if you don't have that flashy play, that you're not a good offense. But from what I saw yesterday, they were methodical. And I definitely thought that they could scare anyone in the NFL right now. I was going to use the word conservative, but I think you've you've called it well. Methodical methodical drives are adjusting to an offense where they're recognizing the players that they have available. I'm working within that remit. And like... Yeah, like the the ball was spread around all the wide receivers, but like you said, there wasn't many explosive plays. It was all methodical drives, take time off the clock, put ourselves in a position to win. Like I was referencing back to the Dolphins game, the one in which they blew, but they had six explosive games in that. Sorry, six explosive plays in that game, and twenty eight points came off, came out of that with touchdowns. Like that's that's it's, it's a world away from what we saw last night, which was again I'm not gonna say conservative, but it was structured. It was structured offense, mixed to run. Mix Jackson in their own pass option, and then obviously then using the various different wide receivers. And let's be fair, like these wide receivers that are playing, none of them are standouts. You know, they're, they're doing a great job for them, but you would, you know, you look at them and say, well, they go in and fit into another team. They may may or may not. They're, they're certainly working to an adjusted offense, which Harbour's running, which allows for them to have those drives and, and keep the defense off the field, and obviously then keep the defense fresher when they need to go back on the field. Yeah, well, definitely no one's going to be jealous of them having Deshaun Jackson, 35 years old, on the field. But I suppose it's it's the sum of all the parts. Like, was it a perfect game? Absolutely not. I think it was the third drive maybe where Lamar took a dangerous pass on to Demarcus Robinson. The next play, he fumbles, but his athleticism, of course, he's renowned for it. His athleticism allows him not only to avoid a massive sack, but he gets the ball off. Like, it didn't go anywhere, but he was able to get the throw away. That like, I, I, you know, I, I thought it was going to be him having to put the team on his back, 
Now, Isaiah, Isaiah Likely has been a fantastic contributor now the last couple of weeks. You know, if he's still in your fantasy football pool, you go ahead and get him. He, he disappeared on ours there on a Sunday night. And it's, I, I think of that touchdown. So on the touchdown, it looks like Lamar Jackson tucks the ball as he runs out to the right. Troy Aikman pointed out afterwards, the defense should have known it was always a passing play because the offensive line shifted right, but they never went upfield like they would if it was a running play. So the illusion and you having to watch Lamar Jackson means the defenders all run towards Lamar Jackson. The ball is no longer tucked and he just tosses it to Isaiah Likely for a beautiful touchdown. I was like, it's also kind of, you know, when there's no top guy to put your top quarterback on, say, put your Davenport or whatever on, that also is a problem because teams are so set up to attack high-powered offenses that when you're spreading the ball out to 10 different players, like Devon Duvernay was talked about as the number one wide receiver for the for the Ravens last night, which is just incredible. Devon Duvernay is your biggest threat that you're after saying um, conservative. It's unconventional as well as what it is, or certainly in this day and age. And I think that's why I can't give credit to any team that's going through injuries because look at the Ravens. It's not even injuries. It's that they're just down to this level of depth because we know that you couldn't pay a wide receiver to go to Baltimore in so long, but they're getting the job done. So that's what I really like. And when we bring it back to the time of possession, if this was done against the Patrick Mahomes or Josh Allen, that you're taking these massive chunks off the clock. Everyone be raving about it today, saying, oh, you're absolutely being defeating the Chiefs. I thought it was a great trial run for doing this, because I, I do think Baltimore gets to the playoffs, if that's as the AFC North winner or the wall card. I think they should own one of those one of those spots. That it was a good trial run, and it's kind of gone under the radar because no one's really talking about it because it was against the Saints and Andy Dalton. And if we want to touch on the Saints and Andy Dalton. I might come back to Lamar in a second, but is that the end of him now, Brian? Because last night his stats, you know, won't scream out that he was awful or anything, but like he struggled. The Jameis Winston, I think it was Jameis Winston was benched for as long as the offense was productive, is how Dennis Allen put it. Is the offense still able to be called productive? They're in a state of flux at the quarterback position. Um, like anybody who's watching, any Saints fan who watched the game or anybody who's watching the game can see that Andy Dalton is struggling under any pressure. He doesn't have the mobility to get himself out of the pocket. And when he is put under pressure and when he does, he's throwing kind of difficult passes. I'm struggling to see what he wouldn't consider bringing Winston back in. I know they've kind of declared what uh, Dalton should be the starter, but he, he's up and down. Like he, He's okay. He's, he's serviceable. He's manageable. He, I can understand as to why the Saints brought him in. Like I could understand why the Cowboys brought him in. Season in which Dak Prescott got the injury because he he'll do a job. We saw firsthand in in London. He did a good job that day. You know, he started off slowly, came came together in the second half. For him, he's the kind of quarterback you can run for one or two games. But consistency to maintain that level of performance in the NFL against defenses from one week to the next, he just doesn't have it anymore. His stats are okay. They're admirable in a way that they're they're never going to blow you away. They're never going to shock you either. You know, but right now the Saints. Saints need another option in terms of like Drew Brees could get the ball down the field, you know, and we saw as the Saints regress that more so down to the fact that Brees was struggling with his arm strength in terms of getting the ball down the field. We're not seeing that with the Saints team. And they do have a, they do have some players there that can do damage in the second. 
like Callaway is very explosive. Olavi obviously is a really good player. Um, Troutman for a tight end, he can has a good turn of feet on him. But we're not seeing those long passes, and we're not seeing any longevity either on the on the drives. It, there's a lot of three and outs, and um, I, I don't see how they can continue with my quarterback. It's it, it, I just I know they won last week and they they've won other games, but it's just not for me. If they want to be in a position to at least make the playoffs and realistically to make the playoffs for this division is to win the division because no one I don't believe anybody's going to come out with a wild card bearing in mind the records there and the games to come so for the Saints they're kind of caught in a situation do they consider the fact that the long term solution is to get a quarterback and essentially that will have to be during the draft and they unless they give up on the season or tank the board that's never used in the NFL but they have to they're kind of at a quandary because in the middle of the road if they win the division where does that lead them in the long run for a quarterback yeah, and the quarterback thing, it's it's tough to go back to James Winston because he had no control over the offensive line, which is an underrated, you know, aspect of quarterback. You know, people just think that you put big blocks out in front of the quarterback and they look after themselves. It's not the case. The quarterback has a lot to do with it. And that's why Drew Brees was so successful. He could turn a regular offensive lineman into a pro bowler. So I think jo- James Winston doesn't have that. But at the same time, Andy Dalton doubled his sack total last night. He had four sacks. So it's like, oh, well, is he after losing? And I suppose his throws last night left a lot to be desired. Um, he had the pick in there, but it was the, the big throw that everyone was talking about is Marcus Callaway had five and a half yards of separation in the end zone, and he missed them. And like I suppose it just, you, you, before we came on, we were talking about, or was it even at the start of this podcast, we were talking about Andy Dalton playing against the Cardinals and his three interceptions that he hasn't had a very good spell of games now that like the saints are there thereabouts that's what's so frustrating frustrating about it and i'm exactly like you i'm like well what's the point winning and this, this has been like the nsc east the last couple of years what's the point winning if you're just going to lose in the playoffs in the first round but all of a sudden you're picking mid-20s in the draft whereas you have some massive holes to fill like at your quarterback. Now, sorry, they have massive holes. No, they probably need to get a wide receiver early and they need to get a quarterback at some point. But obviously that is easier said than done. It's a lot easier when you are picking high in the draft. So definitely you don't want to tank. But it's, it's almost like an indictment on the NFL right now that they are one game out. They That NFC, or NFC South, the Falcons, the Bucks, and the Saints would all have been tied with four wins, five losses. It actually reminds me of the same or the the same division from ten years ago that sent the sent the Panthers, I think, to the playoffs with a losing record. Yeah. So I'm, I'm, I'm I, I, I'll give you an example. Back. I'll give you an sorry, example. Go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, sorry. I'll give you an example, Mark. The Giants two years ago could have won the division on the last day of the season with a record of six and ten. And um, we know what happened with Philadelphia and Washington that night. Um, Washington won the game. They went into the playoffs. Um, the Washington finished with a one game better record and joined to seven and nine, and the Giants finished six and ten. This is before the additional game came into the, to the league. The Giants picked 11th in that draft, and Washington picked 20th. And, and Washington lost the following weekend to the Bucs in the, in the wildcard game. In fairness to Admiral, it was a it was a very good performance against the Bucs, and they nearly beat them. But at the same time, they lost the following weekend. So that one additional game cost them nine places in the draft. And that's just, it's, it's no different than where the Saints are, you know. They can make a run within reason and win the division. Hence, the team could have a losing record and get a home playoff game. But what's the long-term solution here? Because ultimately, they need to find a quarterback. That's 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 the reality. I want to uh, see, can I quickly get in the 2021 NFL draft number? So 
you're saying that they who who did the Giants pick that year? Because it's almost like Jermaine Davis went to the Washington football team. Well, see, this is the problem. I probably shouldn't have used that example because the Giants picked the Giants traded back to Kadarius Tony. Kadarius Tony, there you go. There you go. <laughs> but in fairness, yeah. what I would say is they traded back and they got two picks last year, and Evan Neal was the additional pick because Thibodeau went for it. So you could argue there's the benefit of that that particular scenario. Evan Neal is a joint with a with a very good looking career at him. But I mean, there you go. I I, I don't know where the Saints the Saints go. I don't know how I rate them through the rest of the year. I think they are going to be there thereabouts, you know, in terms of that a- NFC South, they're going to be able to play for the wall card. I think a lot of teams are going to fancy themselves, whether you're competing in the AFC South or the seventh wall card spot looks quite open in the NFC, that it's going to drag on for a few weeks, even though there's only a certain number of what I would describe as elite teams. But I do, after last night's performance, put Baltimore firmly back into that. I think I did from... um. I, I I think I was anyway from last week, but definitely after this week. Anything else to say in the Saints before we wrap up? Yeah, um, well, I find a little bit mind-boggling is the lack of play for Taysom Hill. I mean, we've seen Taysom Hill throughout the course of the last four or five years play this dual-threat situation where essentially he's lining up as a tight end. He's also then obviously taking snaps as a quarterback and he's even taking snaps as a running back. We saw him against Seattle in a game in which they won um, when we were coming back from London the weekend in the Giants Packers game, and it was an explosive game. And he ran for he he had three touchdowns and he threw a touchdown. And when he scored, he scored a touchdown against the Cardinals as well. But he wasn't used to the extent of what he's been used. And I understand they can't continuously use him. We spoke about it actually when we were in London, how he wasn't used to the fourth quarter and he runs in a touchdown. They need to go back and start using him again. Like I wouldn't say last year he was the quarterback of the team. He was also the running back of the team. But like, what's like? Use something until it can't be used anymore. And like he, he's been so good for so long. Like you heard John Payton recently on a, a recent podcast, and he's obviously putting little snippets of information about his uh, love for the game and how the likelihood is he will be back coaching in the league. And he he says the first Barry he'll be going after, whether it's the trade or whether it's free agency, <laughs> is Taysom Hill. Like there's a glowing reference in itself. Why aren't they utilizing him until essentially teams stop him, and then? If you're using them so much, the teams are stopping him. There's other options there. Allows you to potentially be used Kamara in a more productive manner. Kamara last night had 30 yards receiving. I mean, that's very, very low for Kamara, who's such a dual threat. He wasn't utilized properly either last night. So, where we're using him a little bit more, do you get those options to get Kamara on the outside on the perimeter and be more productive in terms of getting yards after the catch? Now, you're dead right. It's It falls on Pete Carmichael, the offensive coordinator for the Saints, really, because I know they redid Taysom Hill's contract, but you're paying him for nothing, really. He goes in for a handful of snaps. He had one target last night. He had one, one, one run last night, and then he, he tossed it one time. That it, yeah, it kind of begs belief because here's the team that's also paying Michael Thomas, it seems, to complain about an ankle injury that we don't know if it really exists. If it's not the ankle today, it's the hamstring next week or something like that. So, yeah, I guess they're in a real state of flux, and it's, it is so strange that they are... Um, really still so involved in this playoff race to bring it back to the Ravens before we wrap up, just because we're talking about Taysom Hill and obviously his mobility. This game did make me think about an oft talked about topic, but I think it becomes very relevant again. It's kind of the mobile quarterbacks. Who would you take after this weekend? Because Josh Allen had his 60 yard touchdown. Lamar, you know, he's often being called the best rushing quarterback of all time. 
And then we know that Justin Fields had 160 yards on the ground, setting a new quarterback record. I, I just think it's a relevant topic again. Is Lamar still there? Is Justin Fields going to take that over in the next few weeks? That's what Twitter says. But Justin Fields only threw for 123 yards in that game and he had 170 yards. We had a bit of a controversial conversation on the show last night about how I wasn't overly impressed with Justin Fields and Colin thought I was I was mad. I just think it's one of those situations that he's going to have to continue to do that now. And in fairness to the Bears, they seem to be adjusting to the fact that this is such a, he's such a dual threat in the running game. That, um, Lamar concerns me uh, from, from a, a throwing standpoint. Um, I, his accuracy at times is a bit off. It has improved. Um, I don't think they're at the level of Josh Allen because Josh Allen, who came into the league and had accuracy concerns after year one, has really come to he's at another level now. He's to me, he's the top one. Justin Fields is modeling his game, obviously more on Hortz, maybe more so than 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 Lamar. But um it's difficult when the Lamar contracting is still up in the air come the end of the season. Mm. That's gonna be the I think that's already the talking point of next offseason. Does he stay? Do they do they finally kind of get restless with his contract and shock the world and trade him. I, I don't know. That's still something that's up for consideration. Plenty of other podcasts still think that's, that's <laughs> consideration. Um, look, you can't be... Look, I wasn't overly impressed with Justin Fields. This week I actually was more so in, in, in Chicago um, and the game against the Patriots. Um, but the Bears... We're not getting into a Bears conversation. Um, Justin Fields is off. He's still <laughs> off. For me, there's a, lot, there's a long way to go. From where he was now, in the second year, Bearman, where Lamar was in the second year, I think it's night and day. Yeah, I definitely think it's worth talking about because you see the reaction on Twitter. If you know, we we tweet out who do you think the best rushing quarterback is. It'll change from week to week, except for fans of certain teams that have watched every snap, every minute live, are so convinced it's their guy. I don't know. I love watching it at the moment. I was definitely impressed with Justin Fields over the weekend. Yeah, like you said, though, we don't want to get into too much Bears talk all of a sudden. Uh, you'll be previewing some games, obviously, from tomorrow onwards again. I'll be back on Thursday. I have Tyg Leader coming on, and then we have a full week of, uh, yeah, week, week 10. Where does the time go? You'll obviously be going off to Germany. I'll be here. I don't know what I'll be in Germany yet, but we'll be talking to you. Thanks a million for listening, everyone.